If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 118 this morning. It's good to see you all here. Second this week, it's amazing how simple it is to have a misconception about something or to misunderstand something. Um, last fall, I had uh, this unbelievable privilege of going to Berlin, Germany uh, on a missions trip. And my daughter, Hattie, she turned three just about a month before I left. And so I was trying to explain to her why I would be gone for a week and exactly where I was going to go. Um, and, and how I did this is I got out one of her little toy globes and I showed her on the globe where we live in America and then... We spun it, and then we pointed at the continent of Europe. Um, and I kept repeating to the line over and over again, we're here in America, and Daddy's going to Europe. We're in America, Daddy's going to Europe. And a little game that we play to make sure she, she grasps something or understands something is that when we're done, I have her go and tell her mom what she learned. Um, so I sent her out to go see Corinne, and, and she, came, she went running up to her and said, Mommy, guess what? Guess what? Daddy's going to my up. Just think about a couple seconds. It'll hit you. There you go. Some of you are getting it. I told her over and over again I was going to Europe, and she took it as my up. Now, my favorite story along this line is about a guy who lived way up in the mountains of Tennessee. And one day he traveled to the big city for the first time in his life. He'd never seen buildings so tall, technology so advanced, and he was just kind of walking around in a daze and in awe. He and his son Billy walked in the lobby of a tall building, and immediately this guy was drawn to the to the elevators. Now, he'd never seen an elevator before, um, and so all he knew was that they were sliding doors. And he wondered what the purpose of these sliding doors were, so he walked over and observed this, this thing, and the first person he saw was this very elderly, kind of unkempt woman who, who wobbled her way onto the elevator. And he stood there as the sliding doors closed, and he waited a few moments, and then they opened again. And this time out, this attractive, young, beautiful woman came confidently strolling out. He was taken aback and he thought for a couple seconds, processing what he'd just seen. And finally he turned towards his son over on the other side of the lobby and he yelled, Billy, please go get your mother. See, misconceptions can be funny. They can be frustrating. They can be harmless. But they can be very, very dangerous. No more is this true than when it comes to our view of God. See, if you walked around any random public place and asked a hundred people to describe who God is for you, you'd probably get close to a hundred different answers. There have been theories formed about who God is. There have been religions based entirely on a view of God. There's been philosophies and societies and civilizations all built with a certain understanding of God in mind. And our understanding of God is more important than we could ever fully grasp. A.W. Tozer writes, um, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Which means he's arguing that the most important thing about you is not your level of goodness. It's not actually the things that you say or do. It's not the values or beliefs that you hold dear. What's most important about you is what you believe deep down in your heart that God is like. And from the moment that we are placed on this earth, we begin to form this view. It starts with our interactions with our parents. And then the way that we relate with our peers. It, it's when we decide what we think is just and un, or unfair. It's, it's our early relationship with the church or our people who claim a certain belief. It's the influence of a coach or a teacher or a professor or um, any person that, that can sway us. It's even the sway of modern media and social pressures. 
And all of these influences, all these voices, all of these things, when left unchecked, can form in our minds and in our hearts a view of God. And of course, the problem with all of that is that we are forming our own view of God based on people and experience and voices that are not God's. And if what we believe about God really is the most important thing about us, then shouldn't we at least be careful enough to make sure our beliefs about him are actually true? You see, God knew this when he made us. He knew how important and vital it was to have a proper and correct understanding of who he is. And so he did this amazing and graceful thing. He told us. He just tells us who he is. How cool is that? Every single Sunday that you come here, we have a commitment for you. Especially if you're a guest, you need to know this. At some point in our time together, we are going to open the Bible. And we're going to look at it, and we're going to talk about it for a while. And the reason for that is that we have this deep, unshakable conviction that the Bible is not just a book, but it's the Word of God. That it is an error and true in everything it teaches and affirms, and that God was behind and inspired every single word in the Bible. And he did so for one main reason and one main purpose. If you want to describe the Bible in one sentence, you could say this. The Bible is God telling us who he is. That's what it is. It's his word, and he gives it to us so that we can know everything we need to know about him and how we can relate to him in light of those truths. So we're going to start in a series today that we pray that he's going to move and work and bless through it because in a world where so many fathers just aren't doing their jobs. We can so very easily have misconceptions about who God is. And it's those misconceptions that can lead to incredible amounts of unnecessary pain and anguish and suffering and confusion. So, we, so what we want to do is tell you who God really is, but don't take it from us, please. Don't take it from us. As Mark and I work through the series, let us assure you that, that we don't want to be just another voice among the many giving their opinion of God. We don't even want to attempt that. Because no sinful, fallen, imperfect man could ever adequately describe the eternal, all-powerful being of the universe. I've never been less worthy or less qualified for any job than that. So what we want to do for you in this series is just show you in his word what God has to say about himself. We want him to tell you who he is. And our prayer is that we just stay out of the way and let him reveal himself to you. Because if that happens, it's going to be encouraging and awe-inspiring and amazing and fearful and hopeful and even uncomfortable. It's going to be all that and more because I'll tip my hand for the series at least this much. If you are entirely comfortable with your own view of God, then somewhere along the way you've made him in your own image. You see, he is so above us and so beyond us that the only way... The Bible says the only way to relate with him is by faith. And that faith is not required because he's just inspiring and loving and wonderful, but it's required because he is also beyond us and he is not safe and he is not interested in our comfort. Now that said, I hope that at least this morning will be an encouragement for you because so much of who God is should be an encouragement to us. We're going to look at Psalm 118, and and in just one verse, we're going to be given two characteristics of God. We could even pick out more from this verse, but this morning we're going to look at two adjectives that describe who he is. And though the words are brief, the implications have no limits. So look at Psalm 118, we're just going to read verse 1. 
Psalm 118, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Psalmist says, give thanks to the Lord. Why? For he is good. I got a question for you this morning. What does it mean that God is good? Because I ask that honestly because there's a lot of confusion on this point. The Bible doesn't go far beyond the description because it just teaches this reality. It doesn't define this. It, it just says God is good because he is. We can say God is good because he's essentially good. He is at his nature good. He is the definition and standard of what good is. He is the originator of good. He's the giver of all good things. There are people in our day, and, and, and from the beginning of time, who push back against this. People who rail against the God of the Bible or Christianity, and they use this point to do it. And what they do is they point out instances in Scripture where people do things by the command of God that seem to go against other commands elsewhere. Or they point, they often point to this evil and fallen world where sin exists and sufferings and illness and trials and death are everywhere. And the reaction to this is to reject the idea of God's goodness or reject the idea of God at all. What they say is either he doesn't exist or he does and his idea of goodness is for me to do whatever he tells me to no matter how evil it is and they rebel against that notion. But you see, that very notion is why what you think about God is the most important thing to you. Because to use circumstances, to use the circumstances of this life and this world to push back against the goodness of God actually logically makes no sense. None at all. Because when we go down this road, we come at God from, from an unfair and incorrect philosophical viewpoint. Think with me for a minute. When, when I look at a tragedy or a circumstance of evil and decide that it's evil or bad and I blame God for it, then when I blame God for it, I'm assuming two things. First, I'm assuming that he is wise enough and powerful enough to foresee the future, that he saw this bad thing coming. And secondly, I'm assuming that he is big enough and powerful enough to stop it from happening. That's what I'm doing when I'm blaming God for something. But you see, if we actually have a view of God like that, we need to be consistent with it. Because if I'm dealing with a being that is both big enough and powerful enough to foresee the future and be able to change, how he, change it how he sees fit, then I have to allow that he is also big enough and powerful enough to have reasons for doing things and allowing things that I could never grasp or understand. I cannot have it both ways. I can't use God's power to blame him for something, but then turn around and limit his power by assuming that he can only work in ways that I could understand. There's another thing that we do with this idea of God's goodness in the Bible. And this is a push in modern Christianity. I suppose remnants of it has always been there. But there are teachings out there, popular teachings, that, that take the goodness of God and misapply it. And they teach that God's goodness makes itself evident in our lives and in our circumstances. That if you just have enough faith, they say, if you just have enough belief, then God will show his goodness to you by making your life good. Your circumstances will be good. When I hurt my foot recently, all of a sudden I had way more couch time than I was used to. There's a couple of ramifications of this. Um, first, my belly's grown quite a bit because I haven't been able to move in about six weeks. And secondly, I was able to watch things that I never ever had time in my life to watch before. One morning I came across this church service that was being televised and I listened as this guy was talking about the goodness of God in our, in our own measure of faith. And in the first five minutes of his sermon, I heard that if I just had enough faith, my cancer would be healed. 
My debt would be erased and I would be showered in riches and my children would all be healthy and successful and on and on. Now to me, there are only two possible conclusions. If I had enough faith, who cares about the torn ligaments of my foot? I should just get up and walk right out of the room. Or secondly, that kind of teaching is dangerous and wrong and completely unbiblical. Now hear me. I need more faith in my life. I'll admit that. And God does have that power. But the promise from God in his word is that he is good. Not that our circumstances of life will always be safe and will always be comfortable and happy and easy. It's never promised anywhere. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. Not you might have troubles. Or you're only going to have troubles if you, if you don't have enough faith. You will have troubles. You see, this is why what you believe about God is so important. Because both heirs, the side who blames God without recognizing his power in all situations, and the side who makes God just this genie who grants you wish after wish, they're both rooted in an incorrect view of God. And what humanity does is that we form a view of God that we can comprehend and understand. That's what we want. We want to totally understand God. And you see, whether we form a God in our heads that is unattractive or just worthy of our rebellion, or or we form a God that is wonderful and just hands out great happy lives to anyone who asks, it doesn't really matter to us as long as we can comprehend him. As long as we believe that we can totally understand him. And the problem with that is if God is really God, then we can never totally understand him. It's why in Isaiah 55, he just comes out and tells us, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, listen, I think and move and act and operate and exist on levels and planes that you could never get to and never understand and never grasp. It's impossible for you. There is one key fact that is vital to our journey through this whole series. And if you take nothing else away, remember this. There is a God and you are not him. You've got to grasp that. And it's illogical for us to try and form God into our own more comfortable image. When God tells Moses his name in Exodus 3, do you know what he says? God says, I am who I am. He's not being sarcastic there. He's saying, you don't get to define me. You don't get to change me. You don't get to adapt me. I am who I am. And then he tells us in his word, and he's telling you this morning, I am who I am, and I am good. I'm good. Psalm 118 tells us that our response to that should be to give thanks. Give thanks to the Lord, it says, for he is good. It's later picked up in Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 when when he fleshes this out and he says, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Not because our circumstances are always good, but because whatever it is we are facing, good or bad, God remains good. Jesus says, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Psalm 33 tells us that from the heavens, the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. And so if you are facing a struggle this morning or a situation that you would have never chosen on your own, if you're facing a health scare or loss of a job or marital strife, if people or circumstances are dragging you down, then know this, 
Know this, there is a God in heaven who is far above anything you can comprehend and he sees you, he sees your struggle and he is good. A man named Alan Gardner who dedicated his life a couple centuries ago to serving Christ as a missionary to South America. Throughout his service, he experienced a multitude of difficulties and hardships and struggles. And, and in 1851, at just the age of 57, Alan Gardner died of disease while serving on the southern tip of South America. When they found his body, they found his journal right next to him. And he was one of those guys that was very faithful in keeping his journal. So this resource told and detailed all the times of hunger and thirst and injury and loneliness. All the struggles that he faced in his ministry. But what was most profound in the entire journal was his final entry. And the letters on the page show just how bad his hands were shaking as he wrote his final thoughts in his journal right before he died. And the final entry read like this. He said, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Now, how do you get there when every circumstance in your life isn't good? You see, God brings you to a point in your life where you hold a deep conviction that God is the definition of good. And regardless of, of this trial that you're facing, in spite of all your circumstances, that he is good. And that's not even the best part. The best part is that because he is good, you will see good from this. Look at Psalm 118 again. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Now there's a lot in that verse, there really is. But the second word that we want to pull out today is the word faithful. Some of your translations say steadfast or merciful. You see, as marvelous as it is that God is good, it even, more, and it even means more when you understand that he is also faithful. So what does it mean that God is faithful? This is what we're told in Numbers 23. God is not a man. So he does not lie. He's not human. So he does not change his mind. Has he ever spoken and failed to act? Has he ever promised and not carried it through? 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God will do this because he is faithful to do what he says. That's simple enough, isn't it? The fact that God is faithful means that God always keeps his words, even when we don't keep ours. In Psalm 89, God is talking about the covenant that he made with David. And he's talking about what would happen if David's sons or descendants reject this God and turn away from this God. And he says in verse 32 and 33, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging. But then listen to this. He says, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. 2 Timothy 3 says, if we are faithless, then he will remain faithful because he cannot disown himself. He says, God cannot be anything but faithful because it's who he is. Which means if you find a promise in God's word, God promises he's going to keep that promise no matter what. See, it's those promises that we can cling to in any phase of life. And there are so many things this morning that I could sit up here and expound upon and, and try to give, give you a grasp of how faithful God is. But I'm not going to do that. For one, no one really cares what I have to say, and rightfully so. Secondly, we're calling this series what God says about himself. And so what I want us to do this morning is just hear a sampling of the promises in God's word. I want you to hear from God himself this morning promises that he is faithful to keep. Philippians 4 says, And the same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches 
which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Matthew 6, so don't worry about these things. Saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Do you know we serve a God whose resources are limitless? Has it hit you that we serve a God whose possession is literally the earth and everything in it? And he promises out of that abundance, out of those glorious riches, he is going to provide every one of your needs. So if you're going through a struggle now, or he's calling you to take a step of faith into financial uncertainty, hear our good and faithful God this morning saying, I got this. You don't need to figure this out on your own. I got this one. Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me. All of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. 1 Corinthians 10, the temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than what you can stand. Philippians 4, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who gives me strength. Philippians 4 again, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We are promised by God, that when we endure trials, he will not let us face something that we cannot handle. He tells us that through Jesus Christ, we can get through. He offers even to take our load and carry our burden, and in their place, he will give us a peace that is illogical, a peace that makes no sense given what we are facing. And the God who promises these things says, I am faithful. I cannot do anything but keep those promises so you can bank on them. First John chapter 1, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Romans 8, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today or worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Jesus says in John 10, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. You see, when we are faithless, as we so often are, when we worship ourselves, as we so often do, when we reveal just how weak and shallow our devotion is to him, as it so often is, then he is faithful because he can't be anything else not because we earned it. It's not because we deserved it. It's because he's faithful. Hebrews 13, for God has said, I will never fail you. And I will never abandon you. Joshua 1, this is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Jesus in Matthew 28, be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, whatever it is you're enduring... Whatever it is that you're facing, God's telling you this morning, I'm right there with you. Not forgotten you. I've not abandoned you or left you. I am right there enduring this just as you are, and my hand is on you. And he's bringing about a greater good. We foreshadowed it twice, and we're going to close with this promise today, Romans 8. 
So many of you know it. And we know, Paul's pretty certain there, he says, we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. You see, God is faithful. When life is hard, when relationships are rocky, when your back is against the wall, when, when, you're, when you've given into temptation, when you've made a mess of things, when someone hurts you or someone fails you, or when friends and success and money leave you, God remains faithful. It's all he can be. There's a nine-year-old boy who had just recently started taking piano lessons, and his mother wanted to encourage this. And so she found out that that Ignace Jan Paderewski was playing in a concert hall near their home. Now, if you're like me, you have no clue who that is. Um, so I Googled him. He's a really famous piano player. He's really good. Um, but it was this formal event. It was this black tie affair. Um, and it was all just a little too much for a nine-year-old. Um, but she really wanted to encourage him in his piano playing. So they went and they arrived really early. Um, again, too early to keep the attention of a little boy. And so they'd been sitting in their seats for, for almost 40 minutes and still nothing was happening. And his mom became distracted and the little boy just hopped up out of his seat. And he walked right up onto the stage. And he sat down on the piano bench. And this little nine-year-old boy just started playing piano. He started playing a rough version of Chopsticks, which is one of the first most basic melodies you can teach piano players. Now instead of thinking this was cute, the crowd was not amused by this at all. Irritated and annoyed, they actually began to shout, get that boy off the stage. Who'd even bring a young kid in here? Where's his mother? Somebody stop this. Now backstage, Paderewski had had heard the sounds. He quickly figured out in his mind what was going on. And so he grabbed his coat and he rushed out on the stage. And without a single word of announcement, he didn't even acknowledge the crowd. He ran straight to that boy who had hijacked his piano. Only when he got there, He reached around both of the boys' sides, and he began to improvise. He played this counter melody that harmonized perfectly and enhanced this little boy's chopsticks. And as the two of them played together, Paderewski kept repeatedly whispering over and over again into his ear, keep going, don't quit, keep on playing, don't stop, don't quit. Now in a room this size, There's just simply no way of knowing the burdens that everyone is facing. There's just no way of knowing the inner struggles or the pains or the things that that you take to God late at night just crying out to him for help. And if we all are completely honest, that left to ourselves, the very best we could ever accomplish in our lives would look like a rough version of chopsticks. But here's the thing. We are not left to ourselves. There is a God, and He is good, and He is faithful. And His message to you today is no matter what you are facing, is just keep going. Don't quit, just keep playing. I know how hard it is. I know you can't see the good right now, but I'm still God. I am faithful to my promises. I am good. And you see, when I enter this equation, I'll bring beautiful music out of this trial that you're facing. I'll never leave you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never forsake you. And I know it's hard now, but one day, one day, 
you're going to see an amazing eternal result. And the question that lies before you from this day until that one is this. Do you really believe I am just who I say I am? Let's pray.